Swivel. The start of a business is an idea. And most business ideas stay just that, a thought that doesn't become a reality for any number of reasons. It might be because the idea has already been taken, which is how most of my ideas end up. It might be because the resources aren't available to get it started, like most of my childhood ideas that involve space and or time travel. Or it might be because it's actually not a very good idea. Like my recent brainwave that people in cities who are not locked down could charge people who are locked down for virtual browsing tours of Kmart. Actually, I'm still not totally convinced that can't work. One of the most common reasons business ideas never get acted on is because we're just too busy. Ideas don't happen in a vacuum. We're already living life, and executing a business idea takes time and money that we probably don't have. And you can only take so much energy away from what's currently paying your bills to work on things that might pay the bills someday. From Swizzle Media, I'm Scotty Allen, and this is Starting Line, where we speak to emerging and established founders and industry experts, and we start from the beginning. busy is something everyone can relate to, and something my guest today knows all about. In fact, her business idea came about because she was trying to be less busy. I'm Caroline Bruni. I am the founder of Organize Curate Design, and we are a lifestyle management company. Founded by Caroline in 2017, Organize Curate Design says they help busy people and professionals alleviate their mental load and streamline their businesses, lives, and daily tasks so they can focus on what matters to them most. It all started when Caroline was trying to solve that problem for herself. I used to be a co-director of first aid and medical companies, so we provided first aid and medical staff for events and venues. My business partner was the more clinical, strategic side of the business, and I brought the event management background. And between the two of us, we then led a fairly extensive team. My business partner had founded the business. I came on board a few years after he'd started it. We'd grown it quite rapidly. And that was great. It was in a space that I knew quite well, that medical kind of element of it. But at peak stress and probably close to peak burnout, I we were running a business that had contracts with a lot of major venues and events around the country. We had a fairly seasonal business. So at its peak, we would have 400 odd casual staff on our books, which anyone that's ever worked or managed casual staff would probably shudder at that thought. And a small management team running that right across the country. We'd even dabbled overseas to do some consulting work. Now, here in 2021 or beyond, I might need to take a step back and explain events to you. You see, there was a time where people could be together in person in really large groups without masks or social distancing, and you could go to places for work events at things like workshops or conferences where you'd pack large numbers of people into small spaces to listen to people talk and then go to social events where people chose food from large plates by touching it with their fingers. And there would be more talking and people really close together, and sometimes it could even lead to dancing, and on top of all of that, you had to wear pants. It was an introvert's nightmare. Anyway, 
Running a business that designs and conducts those type of events is hard, time-consuming work, which led Caroline to look for some solutions. I, at the time, was a young mum with two boys and just life, all the life stuff that happens. I was always super organised, so running an events company and having an event background, it's always been a part of my mindset to pretty much have organisation as the key to my success. And so I wasn't flustered in that day-to-day of, oh, goodness, have we got in the car and my child's missing a shoe or, oh, goodness, who's doing school pickup today or that sort of stuff. But there was definitely a lot on my to-do list that was important, not urgent. So I didn't have an updated will. My super wasn't consolidated. There was things on my list that were more about the future that I thought, I really need to get those organised, but I, I just don't seem to be getting to them. And the stress of the day-to-day with running the other business and being a parent and whatever else just meant that I just didn't have time. And I remember one day sitting and looking and researching to try and find a solicitor to help us with our will. And there was a quote that I got for $500 and there was a quote that I got for $5,000. And I was like, this is stupid. Why why is this so hard? And there's so much admin here. And what's the difference? And I don't have time for this. And surely if there was a life assistant out there that could help me with this and just do this admin logistics part, and then I could make the decision because they could sit on the phone and do all the things, that would be great. And then because I'm a sucker for punishment, I went, ooh, life assistant. That's a good idea. I'll start a side hustle. (laughs) So the busy person that didn't have time to do the thing not only didn't do the thing, but then created a completely different thing. It's true what they say. If you want something done, ask a busy person. And so it was that Caroline went from looking for ways to take things off her plate to putting more on it. So I was really conscious that I had started a side hustle and there are a few factors that were a big part of that side hustle becoming a full-time thing in the future. But there are quite a few things I needed to factor in. So first of all, that I was in a business that I had committed to and being a seasonal business, I wanted to see out the next peak season. So though I launched Organised Curate Design in July of 2017, I didn't step out of the other business until March 2018 because that was the end of the major event season. So in the background of running that core business, I started playing around with the concept, really just chatting to lots of people to understand, was this a service offering that people would want to actually hand over money for? What did it look like? In that first six to nine months, I did a lot of work for free on purpose. So I did a lot of marketing and testing. So how I chose to do that and the key marketing initiative for me in the beginning was I gave away a lot of vouchers for my time and services to online auctions and charities and specifically to people that I thought were going to be the best target audience. So I often work with busy parents and so I would donate a voucher of my time to the local high school for their fundraising initiative for that year or that point in time. And so it would mean that a parent would bid for that, they would fundraise for the school, and I got to test this concept with someone that was the prime audience, but 
maybe didn't really want to pay for my services yet. Maybe a little bit because they bidded for the item. But so it was to me, it was a win win. I got my name out there because we got I got promo through the school and people got to learn about the concept. With some testing done and the idea that would become organized curate design taking shape, it was time for Caroline to transition out of an active role in her existing business. And while she was certain she was doing the right thing, change is complicated. I was really clear that I had dedicated a lot of time to that business and the team and what we had grown. And that's why even though I said, hey, I'm out, but I'm going to give you like three to six months to be out. The business is still running and I am still a shareholder, but I was always the minority shareholder. And so I stepped away from being a director as well, because I was really mindful that I couldn't put my heart and soul into my business whilst also trying to direct and lead another business. I think it's really hard as a business owner or founder to have your brain and passion in two places at once. I don't know many people that can be running multiple things at the same time with the same level of energy in all at the same time. I kind of formally told everyone I was leaving around early December. They knew and I, I even phased out. So as opposed to working full time, I dropped my days and dropped my days and dropped my days. So the team would get used to me not being around all the time. And then I finished up and I decided to go on a retreat Um and one of the rules at the retreat is you're not allowed to have your phone. So I was like, this is perfect. It's like I can go, hey, as of this date, I'm no longer in my role. And on top of that, you've had a two-week leeway. All of your questions need to be answered by this point in time because I'm turning my phone off. And that was fine. And my husband came with me and it was lovely. And then we came home and my phone still didn't ring because they'd obviously gotten used to my phone not ringing. And then it didn't ring again. And then I cried and I cried because I was like, no one needs me. And my phone used to ring all the time and my clients don't care. And like, what happened? I was so used to my phone ringing off the hook at like 11 o'clock at night. Like, if there was an event on, my phone would ring if something went wrong or someone needed a question answered. And I was like that, I was that person that I didn't let people work it out for themselves. I would be like, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. Just tell me, I'll fix it. I'll make time for it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And so I had told everyone not to call me. And then when they did what I said, because I had prepped them for months to not need me, I had a complete like crisis of self and went, wait, this is all I do. This is what I'm known for. Why does no one need me? I had a whole new business that I launched at this point, but it didn't mean that to go from a, such a large business and a really successful one at that to a side hustle that I was still working out if it was a real idea or not, it was a huge shock to the system. And I don't, I don't know how many times I've actually shared that story like publicly and I don't have any shame around it. I think it's a really good story. Um, but, yeah, that tying my sense of self to how much people needed me and how I had created an environment where people needed me was, yeah, it all came crumbling down around me. And my husband was like, but you told them not to call you. I was like, but. <laughs> it was really quite interesting. Taking time to adjust to any significant change is completely normal. Sometimes changes are forced on us, and going through a grieving process in those instances makes total sense. 
but it's a fascinating part of human nature that even when we consciously make decisions, we're fully in charge of the direction that we're taking, we can still arrive at that destination that we chose and experience the same emotions. I was grieving the person I was in that role and the want and need to be needed and even the level of power and authority and status that I probably felt by having that role and I needed to let go of that and I'm really grateful for that and the lessons that I learned in that process but grief is a really tricky thing and and I think we underestimate the grief that comes in the different stages of our lives you can even like we can grieve being um in school like I, we watch year 12 students at the end of year 12 they fall into blubbering messes at the on their last day of school and sometimes you think oh wouldn't aren't you relieved or whatever but everyone has had that experience of oh, I have to say goodbye to this and this is a huge amount of change and it's part of the growth process, but you have to experience that. So now it was time for Caroline to prove out the business model that she'd started building during her side hustle days. The elevator pitch was the life assistant you never knew you needed because I knew I, like, I didn't know that I needed one. And then I decided to be that thing for other people. But people would go, wait, what? Like it would almost bend your brain a little bit because you go, wait, what do I need? Do I need it? Do I not need it? Like it would confuse people. But then I'd say it again and say, the life assistant, you never knew you needed. And they were like, tell me more. And that was it. They didn't even need to know anything else. I did used to have a few kind of taglines and gimmicks and stuff and we're probably still floating around. One was, if it's legal, we can make it happen. And that I, in the back of my head, there was always like asterisks and ethical, but um, that's a bit boring. It's not quite as catchy as if it's legal, we can make it happen. But essentially the elevator pitch was because I was t- specifically targeting people in their life admin, I was like, tell me the things that are on your to-do list in your home life and I'll tell you how I can do them for you. And people were like, but what? Because <laughs> your brain bends and goes, that sounds like the best thing ever. And sometimes it was like, but what about the laundry? I'm like, we can outsource that. And someone would be like, oh, but what about getting my tyres rotated? We can outsource that. And there there really isn't anything that you can't outsource to a certain extent. I would say my clients are predominantly women and I'd say to women, I can't get your pap smear done for you. Sorry, hon. But I can book the doctor's appointment for you to go get it done. So, And that's important. So let's get that done. And women would be like, oh, okay, no problems. So that was always really fun. The message seemed to resonate with the target audience. I had an expo stand at a conf- a business conference in, ooh, I'm trying to think, it was late 2018, so really pushing the marketing at that point. And I remember having a woman come to the stand and I was telling her and she burst into tears and gave me a hug and she was like, you're that person I've been looking for like five years. And I went, what do you mean? And she's like... I just don't have enough hours in the day and like why can't there need to be like an army of you and I did say to her I'm like in a hetero sense there is they're called wives like that's what we do and so that was just a bit of a mind-blown moment for a lot of women that I was speaking to in those early days that were just like oh if someone else could just take a little bit of this load off I could just have some headspace. A good business or product idea solves a problem, and it was clear that Caroline had identified a problem that rang true with her target audience and had a solution that would address their pain points. But while the pitch was landing in theory, the uptake was a different story. 
even when I stepped out of the other business, I wouldn't have called the business full time. I was really fortunate that I had saved some money, that I could start slow. I didn't need to be the primary breadwinner in my household. So it didn't matter if my business wasn't making a lot of money um, and everything I made, I reinvested back into the business because I was in a financial position in our household to do that. I probably gave away a like $5,000 worth of vouchers in that first 18 months. Like I was just anyone that needed one, they got one. I had two claimed out of the hundreds that I gave away. It was really fascinating. So people would go to these auctions or whatever or go into their raffles um, and put their money in and sometimes consciously purchasing said voucher because they were bidding on my specific item versus something in a raffle. But they never claimed the vouchers. So from a marketing perspective, it was like win-win for me because I was getting my name out there, um, getting to pitch to these groups of parents and things, and and then even the person that bought it didn't necessarily, like, so I didn't have to do anything else. That being said, <laughs> the handful that did, I got to work with some parents, um, specifically mums, and got to test a lot of that modelling. When it became a service that I then provided as a paid service, it was probably in a similar space. So I did work with some parents, young children, just looking for some routine structure, looking for a go-to list. So unpacking the mental load and then putting it into a list so they could then go, okay, I need to do this next and this is the next thing and so on and so forth. And in a lot of cases, due to the marketing and the pitch that I was going for at the time, a lot of them couldn't afford or um, justify the service long term. And that to me was one of the biggest glaring signs of this isn't going to work long term if I'm not pitching this to the right market. And though in my heart, the people I wanted to help were the people that like, to me were really struggling with juggling it all and mental load and whatever else, they often weren't in the financial position to pay for a service like mine. So as a qualifier, I would often say, do you have, do you get your car washed? Do you have a cleaner? Do you, what do you outsource? And if there wasn't anything on the list, mainly due to financial reasons, it was pretty clear that we weren't going to be, I wasn't going to be a service for them long term. But then I stepped into this new space where I started working with entrepreneurs and business owners who were also parents, but they had this completely different understanding around outsourcing and admin and logistics. And then I could also speak their language because I was a business owner and entrepreneur and a parent. So there was this kinship of, oh, you get it. I'm working at the kitchen bench and you don't care as long as we do the thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's do the thing and, and let's hustle it and let's bootstrap it and let's just scrap our way through the process together and I'll find you the best deal leave that with me and so all of that core work of let's work with busy parents I just added a little let's work with busy parents that are also business owners and it was gold so problem solved end of story right well not yet because when you've worked passionately on an idea and really believe in it it can be very hard to let it go it's one thing if the toy is broken and everyone can agree that it needs to be thrown out. But this was like having a cute puppy that everyone who likes puppies agreed was cute, but nobody wanted to take it home. You don't just throw away a puppy. I mean, if you do, you're a monster. But anyway, this decision took some time. I fought that. I fought it really hard. <laughs> I have a friend who isn't a parent, but is a small business owner. And she 
insert all the swear words, was like, stuff the parents. What about us? What about us business? I was like, come on, but the mums are struggling. She's like, oh, stuff the mums. I'm like, what about the mums that are business owners? She's like, oh, they're all right. You can use that. You like, but she's like, business owners are struggling. I'm like, I don't know. My heart's like really going out to these parents that just don't even like they get in their car and the kid's missing a shoe and they're running late and it's stressful. And she's like, yeah, but. I don't think that's... And so I fought it for a really long time. She kept saying to me, like, why do you keep writing this marketing pitch to these parents that love the idea, but none of them are booking? And I'm like, oh, but... So yeah, it took me a little while. It did happen quite organically, though, in the sense that back in the world when we used to go to networking events and go see people in person. What I used to do is is make a point to go to at least one or two networking events or business style events a month. And I'd go and just chat to other business owners and entrepreneurs and I'd make contacts and networks in all the different spaces, build my little black book because I needed a little black book to service my clients and find them the best graphic designers and the best publishers and the best landscapers and whoever they were, I wanted to know who they were, but in return, I could then talk to them about their mental load and tell them what I did. And it was another win-win scenario. So as I started to really grow my name in that small business world, I was like, yes, this is a no-brainer. I really enjoy spending time with these people. We're on the same level. We're, we're all working towards a really similar goal of that when you, it's like that concept of when you work with a small business, you're helping them pay the bills and pay their school fees for their kids. And I, I really loved being a part of that community and therefore being able to service that community. So I think that was really when it switched for me. And now I make a point to still offer the life assistance stuff if that's what people want. But I would say 70% of my clients now are in that more business-based space, which is the, the part I really loved. The entrepreneurial journey is not a straight road. There are twists and turns and surprise drops, and it's quite common that in trying to navigate all of that, we develop some form of tunnel vision. Caroline's story is a great example of being able to look beyond the opportunity you perceive to find the opportunity that actually exists. So with her true target market identified, growth was underway, and it was time to work out how to grow the business. So... I'm all about outsourcing. So for a really long time, it was how do I find the thing that I need and um, using my networks and um, not having anyone on the books because that wasn't something I could afford. And at the same time, it was really hard because I'd come from such a big business. We had so many people on the books and I was like, oh, isn't that the pathway? Like, isn't that how you do it? You just you need something. So you hire someone to do said thing. And so I really had to learn a lot in that concept of outsourcing and and bartering and trade, which I didn't know you could do in small business. But this same friend that I mentioned before, she she was like, oh, I need your service and I can do this. And we were like, oh, amazing. I didn't know that was an option, but if I'm 100% happy to give you my time if in exchange I get your product. In her case, it's a product-based business. And so that was great. So a lot of that was the beginning. I think when you hire your first employee, it can feel a bit chicken or the egg because in some cases you're either so busy that you think, oh my goodness, I need to hire someone, but then you don't have the mindset or the time to invest in hiring someone. But the reverse of that is if you hire someone too early, you haven't built the clients or the workload to justify hiring the person. So 
it can be really tricky because the timing is, is really critical and sometimes you got to grunt and bear the, I'm so busy, I don't have enough hours in the day, so therefore I need to put in more time to hire, which hurts, or the, I've just hired someone and they're brilliant, but I don't have any work for them yet, and I've got to bear the brunt of that financial cost until we build the business. Either way, it hurts, and neither situation is easy. It just depends what's more important to you. And I was probably sitting in the, I'm going to build, like, I don't have enough work for this person, but I'm going to build it up. But the key for me and the reason I chose that as opposed to, I'm going to wait till the workload's overflowing and then I'm going to get the person is because I had been stung just once. And I think, I hope I only have to learn this lesson once, but I'd been stung with a really bad hire early on um, when I worked in the other business. And I vowed to never make that mistake again. So I wanted to have a really decent amount of time in recruitment and culture and all of the things that I wanted to make sure that I knew exactly what I wanted that to look like before I brought someone on board. And so as I said, I hired my first um, staff member in March of 2019 Hired another staff member actually only like three or four months later because we got really busy. Um, Busy people make more busy work and we're good at that. The pandemic definitely changed the scope of the business in March 2020 and now we're back to like like it's me and another staff member and a whole heap of freelancers and whatever else. So I've niched down again. I can probably see it being me and probably two, maybe three, maybe by the end of this year or early next year, but that's just as the business continues to grow and change. And that's where Organize Create Design is now. Weathering the pandemic and all of its challenges like the rest of us, supporting small business owners and professionals by helping them clarify their key priorities, work out where they need help with them, and then putting those plans into action. I asked Caroline what key advice she'd give emerging founders or people considering acting on their business ideas. I would definitely get them to run their idea through a few different people. Now, be really conscious of who those people are. You have people in your life who are out to, who are there and they love you and they want to protect you and they don't want to see you fail or invest money into something that is still an idea and they may mean well with their naysayer-style attitude and that's okay because their intention is in hope, hopefully their intentions are positive and, and to look out for you. Um, but sometimes they're not the right people. And same of that in reverse. There'll be people that love you and be like, every idea you come up with is amazing. And it's like, no, it isn't. But they'll tell you that because they love you and they don't want to hurt your feelings. So sometimes friends and family are great for those people that you run your ideas through and sometimes they're just not. And I guess that goes back to my example of me testing the waters with schools in my example and finding a target audience and going, this isn't going to cost you anything. I just want you to test this market with me. Now, that didn't always work for me because no one claimed said vouchers and I couldn't test the market the way that I wanted to. But it meant that people were actually purchasing the vouchers or bidding for them. And I was like, okay, people seem to want this. What does this look like? Now, in that process as well, as you're testing the market and playing around, a couple of things to remember. When you have that moment where you go, I've got this idea, but then it's already out there and I don't know what to do and and I don't want to be like... up against this competition or this person that's been around just remember that if you drive down the road you can go to mcdonald's hungry jacks kfc red rooster so on and so forth if you want to pay for a burger of a particular price range and if you want to go to a really fancy gourmet place you can probably pay like 10 bucks more and pay for a really more expensive 
probably better marketed burger, not necessarily produce maybe not even all that better. It's just a marketing ploy. But all of those things exist and they coexist in the same space. So don't freak out when even as you're testing with friends and family, when you come across that hurdle, you're going to freak out, breathe. You're allowed to be the other burger place. It's okay to have more than one. You can't spend much time with Caroline without seeing some of the key characteristics of entrepreneurship. She has that drive and self-motivation that is essential to being successful in any kind of business. But alongside that confidence and belief in herself, she also has the willingness to take risks and learn from mistakes. She explained how she makes meaning from things that don't go to plan and how she moves on from them. I have had many a times that I have tried stuff and it has not worked. But I have a really, like this specific friend that comes to mind, we try stuff in our businesses all the time and we'll reach out to each other and I'll just say, hey, I'm going to launch this thing. It's, I don't know if it's going to work. So when I call you next week, either a blubbering mess or I'm feeling really bruised and my ego's a bit bruised, can you just like give me a bit of empathy, then laugh at me, then tell me to get my ass into gear and get going? And she's like, yep, cool. And I do the same for her. And I'm like, we don't have time to sit and wallow. Sometimes we have to grieve an idea and we have to go through that process and that's totally fine. But every time I do something, I'm like, hey, you know what? No one was paying attention anyway because they didn't buy the things. Let's get on with it because there's a new thing to make. So, yeah, I don't often go, oh, I wish I had enough or, yeah, don't get me wrong. I look at everything and I'm such a data analyst kind of, I look at everything with such a fine tooth comb and we do our research before we launch stuff like I it's not in my nature just to do stuff on the whim. But when something doesn't work, I, I pick it apart pretty quickly and I take the lesson and I, I nurse my bruises when I need to and my ego when I need to. And I have a really good group of business friends that goes, okay, stop crying. Let's get on with it. you got stuff to do. And I'm like, okay, we'll get on with it. And I saved this for last because as a small business owner doing the day-to-day, it really spoke to me. I asked Caroline what she finds most challenging about being a founder and running her own business. The key challenge I often have in starting and continuing to run my own business is I don't have to love it all the time. So there are definitely days where I have been like, I don't enjoy this right now and what am I doing and maybe I should quit and I'm like oh I can't do that because I'm my own boss so that's not gonna work and my team have copped the brunt of that a few times I'm like I definitely try to create a level of you know not distance probably just a level of respect in the sense that my team doesn't need to hear when I'm like having a moan about being a business owner but sometimes they cop the brunt of it with the lack of energy I will bring to a project or a a point in time so I have definitely had moments where I'm like I don't care do we have to do it and they're like you're the boss you're supposed to care I'm like oh crap okay I gotta like care again so that's been my biggest challenge I speak at schools sometimes and I often tell teenagers I'm like you don't have to turn your passion into a job because it will still be a job and there'll be days where Mondays are like, oh, Monday. So Yeah, and I don't think I ever woke up and went, I'm so passionate about organising and lists, I can't wait to do this. I saw a really clear business opportunity and turned it into something clever and innovative and I've changed it and adapted it where I've seen further opportunities. In those slumps, in those moments where I've been like, oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore, 
I've reminded myself that sometimes passion needs to come from elsewhere. And so I have multiple things that I do now and I fill my cup to the brim with whatever I need to so I can get up and do the thing. Um, and that's a lesson that I still have to learn every now and then. So sometimes I'll, I will I'll have those days where I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? Or There's always stuff in any business or any task that you're like, this isn't the fun stuff. But then if I can do something else later that day or on the weekend or whatever where I'm doing the fun stuff, I'm like, oh, okay. And I guess that's regardless of if I know we're talking to founders and or people that are looking to be, but it's the same with the day job. Like you don't love your day job every day, but if your day job pays the bills and therefore pays you for your holiday or whatever your hobbies are, then it's the same concept. But I think as founders and business owners, we forget that. We forget that some days it's just not, it's just going to suck and that's okay. A big thank you to Caroline Bruni for joining me for this fantastic discussion. If you'd like to learn more about the work of Organized Curate Design, then just go to organizedcuratedesign.com and that's organized with an I-S-E on the end. And Caroline also has a fantastic podcast called Growing Pains, which you will be relieved to know has 0% Kirk Cameron and 100% fantastic stories from Caroline and her guests about adulting. So check it out. Starting Line is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace and me, Scotty Allen. Our consulting producer is Amanda Reedy. Original music and sound design is by Ash Deneef, and our show artwork is by Mark Osmendi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all our shows and find us on social media for updates on new releases. Swivel.